Well, my name is Clayton Walker. I'm the pastor here at Raider Church, if we haven't met. And uh, many of you know I've got three kids, Levi, Coben, and Nixon, 11, uh, 9 now, and uh, 5. My daughter, Nixon, is 5. And so in, in my house, we, we watch a lot of Disney. Okay, any Disney fans in here? You, you guys woke up? Okay, so let me ask you this. My kids watch this show a lot called Live and Maddie. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what show I'm talking about? Live and Maddie? Okay, um, so I, don't, I have no idea how long that show's been around. I don't know if you've saw, seen that or like grew up watching that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how long that show's been around, but, but my kids watch it all the time, okay, especially my daughter. And so every once in a while, okay, I promise you, it's not like every day or anything, okay, but every once in a while, I will sit down with it and I will watch a, a Disney show with him. And here's something I picked up on, okay, just in watching all these Disney shows, okay? So in Liv and Maddie, Liv, I think, is the one uh, that is like the singer or the actress or, or whatever. And then Maddie's the one that's like this all star basketball player, okay? So both of them are like just incredible at what they do. And in their own right, in their own way, they're, they're, they're famous. Like they're famous for what they do in the skill that they have. Now, I, I may, I, I'm, it just may be the shows that I've seen or that my kids watch. But, but when I watch these shows, one thing I've noticed that's like true in almost every one of them is that there is like this obsession with being or becoming famous. Now, it could be being a professional athlete or a model or a rock star or, or, or an actress or an actor or whatever it is. But in so many of these shows that, that, that I've gotten to see, I've just noticed, and I'm not saying it's true about all of them or Disney in general or anything like that, but, but if you think about it, um, so many of these shows are centered around being famous or becoming famous. And so the other day, my, my daughter walks in and she's got all these necklaces on and earrings and her hair's all crazy and she's got these crazy clothes coming. And she comes around the corner and she says to my wife and I, oh my gosh, I look like a rock star. And we were just like, what? Like what, what is happening to our daughter? And so I've just, I've just noticed this. And the same thing is true like across our culture. Like if you think about it, when it comes to TV, movies, social media, all these things, it pushes on us and preaches to us that being famous is important, that we should pursue being famous famous. And I mean, think about this. Social media probably does this more than anything now. Okay. Now uh, there was this thing that came out in 2003 while I was in college. It was called MySpace. Have y'all ever heard MySpace? Okay. So some of you, maybe you're, maybe you're a little bit older than, than everybody else in here. Okay. Uh, like myself, you, you, you remember, or you've heard of this thing called MySpace. Okay. I think it came out in like 2003. It was one of the first social media sites to like blow up. There was one actually before that in the late nineties called six degrees. I had never heard of it. Okay. I just, I came across it this week. And so that was literally like the first social media site, but then you had MySpace. Then in 2004, you had the Facebook. It wasn't Facebook when it first came out. Okay. At Harvard and some of the first colleges, Stanford, places like that. It was called the Facebook. And then they dropped the, the, and it just became Facebook. And a couple of years after it launched, I was already graduated from college. This is 2004, 2005. Now I had already graduated from college and Facebook came out. And so I'm out of college and there's Facebook. And I know some of you are trying to think, okay, 
If he graduated, then that means how, okay, don't even worry about how old I am, okay? Don't even think about that. Just, just put that out of your mind. Okay, so, so Facebook comes out, then 2000. Six, I think it's, it's YouTube comes out and then, uh, or 2005 YouTube, 2006 is Twitter. And then 2010 and later you've got Snapchat and, and Instagram and, and things like that. But we, we, we have grown up and I will throw myself into that mix. My generation, um, kind of adopted social media, you guys and the generations following my kids are growing up with social media. And it preaches to us, whether you realize it or not, that fame and being famous is of the utmost importance. It just, it just does. In fact, it wasn't long ago, probably in the last year, um, my, my kids have, have picked up on this and they've, they've noticed this and, and, and they've had teachers and friends and coaches and parents and people like that have told them, hey, we see your dad on TV. And they're like, what? And so they'll come home and they'll ask me, they're like, dad, are you on TV? And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I have been. And, and, and they're like, well, my, my friends are saying that, that, they, that they've seen you on TV. And I'm like, yeah, but, but it's not a big deal. It's not what you're thinking, you know, whatever. And, and so I kind of downplay it and make it like it's not big of, that big of a deal. Well, then I'm dropping off my son Levi at baseball practice. And I show up, I'm dropping him off. And his coach yells from the field, hey, you're Clayton Walker. I've seen you on TV and on Facebook. And my son's eyes just kind of light up like, What? You know, like, and so that, that day we got home from practice and Levi literally came up to me, like in front of my, my, my whole family. And he's like, dad, are you famous? Like with these big eyes, like he thought I was good. And I was like, no, I'm not like a, no, no, no. I mean, some people know who I am and love it, but Lubbock's a small tent. Like, no, I'm not famous. But he thought it was the coolest thing in the world that maybe his dad was famous. We had some friends that played my, a friend of mine played for Texas. He went to Friendship High School here, and then he went on to play football at, at the University of Texas, and then he got drafted and played for the Saints and, and ended up playing for um, the, the Patriots, too. And so he's got like three Super Bowl rings, okay? And, and so, uh, so he's on TV a couple of weeks ago when Tex playing Texas. He's on the sideline at Texas, and his boys are all there with him. Well, they're our friends. And Levi says to me, he said, look, there's the, there's the Thomas boys. There's, there's, there's Mr. Tom. He's, he's right. He's on, he's on TV. And I was like, yeah, you know, he played for Texas. I was kind of telling him why he was there and trying to explain it to him and leave. My boys were just like, oh my gosh, Mr. Thomas is famous. And then one of my sons said that I'm not going to say which one or anything like that. But one of my sons says to me, he says this, dad, the Thomas boys are so lucky. And I said, yeah, well, why is that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, why? And they said, well, they're lucky because their dad is famous. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. They are lucky, but it's not because he's famous. He's a great man. He's a Christian, you know, whatever, but it's not because he's famous, but we, our generation, I'm not sure there's ever been a generation more obsessed with our own fame than this one. Maybe there has been, I just don't know, but, but I want to, I just want you to think about this for a second. Has there ever been in the history of the world, a generation more obsessed or concentrated or concerned with their own fame than this one? You could say it a different way. Has there ever been a generation more self-centered 
than ours. And I'm not poking the finger because I'm including myself in this. Like I'm including myself, like my generation in with this one. I'm not sure there's ever been in the history of the world a generation that is more self-centered, more concerned with fame than ours, than yours. And if you think about it, before you answer that question, as you think about that, just for a second, remember that most of us in the room have at least three social media accounts that are all about ourselves, right? And if you were to go to those accounts, you were to go to those pages and you were to go through all the pictures, what would you see? Pictures of ourselves. I mean, we are the selfie generation. That's us. And at the same time, let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a generation that has struggled with more and has been plagued more with mental and emotional issues and with thoughts of suicide than ours? I'm not sure there has been. Maybe there's a connection, maybe there's not. I believe there is. I believe there's a connection between the two. And maybe, just maybe, it shows and it proves that we aren't supposed to exist for our own fame. But here's the tension, is that you and I, every one of us, we were all created to worship, like it's hardwired in us. We are, we're designed by God to worship. In other words, you could say in order, we, we were designed, we were hard work, hardwired to make famous or to make much of something or of someone. Most of us are just trying to make ourselves famous. We're trying to make much of ourselves. And my question for you tonight is, is, is that why we exist? Like, is that our, our purpose, is to make much of ourselves, is to make ourselves famous? And if it's not, then who do we exist? What do we exist to make famous? What do we exist to make much of, to exalt, to praise? Because the Bible says you were wired, you were hardwired, you were created, you were designed inside to worship, to make famous, to make much of something or someone. And so I want us to just go through the Bible tonight. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of passages. And so uh, I would encourage you to go to RaiderChurch.com. You can follow along, select sermon notes. The verses are not going to be on the screen tonight. We're just going to, I'm going to give you a survey of some passages in the scripture that I believe will point us to who and what we are supposed to be making famous. We are supposed to be making much of. And so if you got a Bible, you can turn to, to Genesis or you can go to RaiderChurch.com, select sermon notes, and you can follow along with us. The list of the passages that we're going to be going through are all there for you. But we're going to go through this quick. We're going to get some takeaways, and then I'm going to give you a few challenges based on what the scripture says to us tonight. All right, let's go. Genesis chapter 12, God says, to Abram, this gives him this covenant. He says, I will bless you 
so that you can be a blessing to others. And then he tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, so that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to other people so that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What's he, what's he saying there? What's he talking about? Well, we learn later and we learn through the story of God and we learn through the scripture what is being talked about here. What God is promising is that through you, Abraham, through your seed, all the peoples on earth will be blessed and that, that Jesus, our savior, would come through your line and that we would be blessed with the gospel of Jesus through Abraham and through his seed or through his Kids who would have kids who would have kids through his family, all the nations, all the families on earth would be blessed with the gospel. So God says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to other people so that all the nations on earth will know that I am the Lord. And so that all the nations one day will know that Jesus my son is the son of God, the Messiah, who came to take away the sin of the world, to bless us with the gospel. So in Genesis 12, in the very beginning, God says, all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you, Abram. And the answer to that is Jesus, the gospel, whom we would be blessed with. In Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites have crossed into the promised land. They're going to take this town of, of Jericho and, and, and they've got this vast army now. And, and God tells Joshua, he says, hey, listen, you're going to go and take Jericho and you've got this vast army, but you're not going to go and attack the city. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to get the army and you're going to march around and the priests and everybody, you're going to march around the city and basically do a little ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, and the walls are going to come down. And you, if you're Joshua and you're the army, you're thinking, what? Like, what? No, no, we're supposed to go and fight. We're not supposed to shout and sing. Like, like it was like God saying, hey, soldiers, listen, um, the band, the musicians, they've got this one. And so we're going to get the guitar player and the drummer, and they're going to come, and they're going to come and lead you and around, and marching around the city and chanting and shouting. And then the walls are, I mean, can you imagine being Joshua? Can you imagine being Israel and being told by God to do this? But here's what I guarantee you happened after the walls did come down in Joshua is that they said, there's no way this could have happened unless God did it. I mean, why do you think God would have set it up to happen like that? It must have been so that they wouldn't have thought, so that they wouldn't have got it in their minds or in their, or in their hearts that we did this. God said, you're going to go and you're going to walk around the city and for six days and on the seventh day, you're going to do it. And then you're going to shout and the walls are going to come down. And I promise you, they weren't thinking, man, that was a great guitar solo that brought down the walls. No, no, no. They were thinking, God, you did something here that no man can explain. You did this. We, we didn't. Same thing happens in Judges chapter seven. God calls Gideon to lead Israel into a war with the Midianites. And God says, hey, 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 Gideon, you've got an army. You've got this vast army. They're, they're way, it's way too many. There's way too many people in your army. 
And so God tells Gideon to do all these strange things to whittle down this army to 300 people. And God tells Gideon, listen, we're doing this because otherwise Israel will think in their minds, they will think if they defeat the Midianites with thousands and thousands and thousands of souls, they will think in their minds, God says this, they will boast before me that they did it. And so God sets up another impossible situation so that Israel will say, not us, God, we didn't do this. It was you, it was your power and by your might alone that this was accomplished. Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages of scripture in all the Bible. David writes this in Psalm 23, starting in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for why? God, what, why are you doing this? Why are you my shepherd? Why are you helping me to lean, lay, lay down in green pastures and leading me and giving me peace and refreshing my soul and leading me? And God, why are you doing this, God? Psalm 23. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. That's why the Lord is our shepherd. Yes, it's, it's, it's for us, it's for our benefit, it's for our joy, it's for our, our peace and, and, and refreshment and guidance. I mean, we, we see all that. But ultimately, he does all of this for us, David says, for his own name's sake. Psalm 67, one of the most famous Jewish blessings. Verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that, why? Why is God gracious to us and bless us? Why does he make his face shine on us? Verse two, so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May all the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, all of Israel and Judah are now in exile. And Ezekiel, the prophet, is, is speaking to Israel and to the leaders of Israel. And God speaks through Ezekiel to Israel, to God's people, who are now in exile. They've been punished because of their sin, because they've forsaken God, and they begin to worship and follow idols. And so because of that, God allows Babylon and Assyria to come in and to take them and to wipe them out and to take whoever's left into exile. And so they're in exile. They're not in their own country. They're not in their own city. They're not in their own homes. And God says this through the prophet Ezekiel to Israel. He says this, I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to get, there's going to be a new covenant and I'm going to cleanse you of your sin and your unrighteousness. And then he says this in Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit inside of you. I will give you a new heart. I will take your heart of stone out that sins against me, that wanders away from me. I'm going to take your heart of stone out and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that's sensitive to me, that follows me, that worships me, that, that loves me. He says, I'm going to take your heart of stone out. I'm going to put a new heart inside of you, a heart of flesh. And then he says this, this is the new covenant 
that God would place his spirit within us and he would move us from within to keep all of his righteous decrees, to follow him and to worship him. I mean, this is one of the key new covenant passages. And he says this, I am not doing this for your sake. The entire new covenant, the beginning of it, the the foretelling of it anyways, here in Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I'm not doing this for your sake. He says, I'm doing this for the sake of my holy and great name so that the nations will know that I am the Lord God. The entire new covenant of God placing his spirit within us to move us. The entirety of the new covenant is not for your sake. It's not for my sake. It's for his sake, for his fame, for his holy name. Luke chapter 24, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says about this new covenant. Confirming what we read in Ezekiel 36. Jesus would say this to his disciples before he would ascend back into heaven. He would say, listen, you guys, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to preach to all the nations, to all the peoples of the earth. And he says this, I will place my spirit within you. And my spirit will give you the power, will give you the ability to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth so that all the nations, all the peoples, will know the gospel. So I will place my spirit within you. Why? So that we will have the power, so that we will have the ability to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all the nations will know that he is the Lord God. And then Revelation chapter seven, the very end End of the story. Revelation chapter seven, John has a vision of heaven. And in this vision, he sees this in Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. He says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God, forever and ever. Amen. This is a small sampling of what all of the scripture tells us that God, God, his heart, his desire, his passion is for his glory to be known among the nations. It's for us to make him famous, to make much of him to spread his glory among the nations. In other words, all the peoples of the earth. And so here's a, a four takeaways that I, I think we can see a, a, about God from these verses and from the story of scripture. Number one, 
is that God loves what? Who? We talked about that this, this week, or this week on, on social media, right? We, we posted, we said, God loves who? And many of you filled in the blank. And you said, God loves me. God loves uh, you. God loves the Dallas Cowboys. And then uh, Mark said, well, yeah, he does love the Dallas Cowboys, but he must love the, the Kansas City Chiefs even more. I said, God loves Mark's long, illustrious, thick hair, okay? Um, some of you said, God loves the broken, the, the poor, the prostitute, the imperfect. And all of those are true, obviously. Someone said, God loves worship. All of these are true. But when we read the scripture, not only does God love you and me, we learn that God loves himself. And if you're like me, you hear that and you're kind of like, ooh, what? Like God loves himself? Like we didn't color that coloring page in church growing up, right? I mean, the page said God loves you, right? Or God loves the world. I mean, imagine being a child and coloring the coloring page and says God loves God. You're like, what? God loves God. But the scripture teaches us that God loves himself. He loves you. He loves me. For God so loved the world. That's all still true. But we also learn in the scripture that God loves himself. Secondly, we learn that God exists to exalt, who do you think? You? Me? What do we, what do we, just, what do we just read? God exists to exalt who? Himself. God exists to exalt Himself. He wants his name to be known among the nations. Not your name, not my name. That's not, of his, that's not his utmost concern, is that your name or my name would be known among the nations. His concern is that his name would be known among the nations. I mean, think about it. We have a book in our Bible that teaches us how to worship him. God in his providence and his mercy and his grace has given us a book of the Bible, Psalm, that teaches us, Psalms, that teaches us and prods us and encourages us to worship himself. I mean, just picture this with me for a second. Just think about this. That just, just imagine, like if I were to write a book, okay, a book of poems about myself, okay, and I were to take this book home to my wife, and I would say, babe, you're never going to believe it. Like I, I wrote this book, okay, and it's a book of poems, and it's a book, the poems are all about me and how to worship me and how to make much of me, and I'm just, just going to give this to you so that you can read them to me. And in your time in the morning and at night, you can read these, and they're going to bless your life. You're going to love it. I mean, we wouldn't do that. This, 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 this is the stupidest thing ever. If I were to give my wife a book about how to worship me, she would just throw it down. I mean, it would be worthless. But it's not true with God. God exists to exalt himself. Third, God is God-centered. 
And I'm just guessing, if you're like me, as we go through each one of these, it's kind of like, I'm not sure, like, is that right? I mean, is that really true? Um, And I would just invite you to read the Bible and examine and see if this is true, if this is right, like I would with any message we would give you. Read the scripture and determine for yourself, does this ring true? That God is God-centered. You see, if we were to say this about ourselves, that we are me-centered, that Clayton is Clayton-centered, I am self-centered, we would say that that's not right. But with God, it is right. In fact, it's the only thing that's appropriate because there is nothing higher, there is no one greater than God. And so it makes sense for God to be centered, to be self-centered, to be centered on God himself. So who would you rather him be centered on? You? Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'd love for God to be centered on me, but that's not the story of the scripture. God is God centered. And then last, God is about his glory among the nations. God is about his glory, his fame among the nations the nations. And so if God is about his glory among the nations, then as his followers, it would make sense that you and I would be about his glory among the nations. Not my glory, not my fame, not my name, but that my heart would beat for the same thing that's on God's heart, which is his glory among the nations. So, so, so how, how, how do you think we're we're doing there? Like, how are we doing um, in 2000 years since Christ rose from the grave? How are we doing with getting his glory out among the nations? And when we say nations, what we're literally saying is the peoples of the earth. Scholars have broken this word down to to a simpler term. People groups is what they believe that the words literally mean, like not nations like we would think of America or Russia or something like that. No, no. When we're talking about nations, we're talking about the peoples, the families on earth, the people groups. So how are we doing getting the gospel, the glory of God, to the ends of the earth, to all the nations, to all the peoples. Well, here's a map of the progress of the gospel by people group that's put out by the Joshua Project who examines this and studies this and and, and keeps us updated on the progress of the gospel. And so you can look around and see you've got some green areas like in Australia or or South of Africa, some in South America, North America, things like that. You've got some green areas and a green area is known to be above 5% evangelical Christian. Okay. Then you're like, well, what's all this, what's all this red? Like what's all this red here in Northern Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, places like that. Um, This is called the 1040 window where most of the unreached people groups of the world reside. It's called the 1040 window. In a red people group, and you see there's a lot of red, 
is less than 2% evangelical Christian. Less than 2% evangelical Christian. So here's some facts for you. The world population is about 7 billion people and what some people will say, 17,000 people groups. 7 billion people and about 17,000 people groups. Next, the unreached population of the world is about 3 billion unreached people in over 6,700 people groups. So that works out to about 42, 43% of the people on earth are considered to be unreached or they live in a people group that's below 2% evangelical Christian. So we have people that are going, that are working here in America and they're working all over the world, Christian workers that are out spreading gospel, making disciples and doing what Jesus told us to go to make disciples of all the nations. So, so here's how many Christian workers there are. There's about 20,500 Christian workers among the unreached, which is about 0.3. 37% of the total Christian workers in the entire world. So not even 1%. 0.37% of the Christian workers on the face of the planet are working among the unreached. The areas where less than 2% are evangelical Christian. And so let's just take one country, Thailand, a country that we've adopted, that we're focusing on, that we're praying for, that we're seeking and praying to raise up people that will leave Raider Church and leave our country and go and, and move to, to Thailand and, and, and try to make disciples that, that will make disciples among unreached people groups. Let's just take one country, Thailand, and one people group, the central Thai people group is 0.2% evangelical Christian, not two, 0.2% evangelical Christian. So in this one people group, the central Thai in Thailand, there are 67 million unreached people. And when we say unreached, a lot of times people will say, well, well, I mean, we've got unreached people here in America. No, no, we don't. We have lost people in our country. We have people who have not yet believed the gospel, but we don't have unreached people in America because we have Christian workers here. When we say unreached, you could also think of the term unengaged. We don't have Christian workers in these places that are unreached or not enough to make a difference yet. So when we say unreached, here's what we're saying, is that in a people group like the Central Thai, you could be born, live, and die, and never hear the name of Jesus, never meet another Christian, never see a Bible, never see a church. That's what we mean by unreached. That you could be born, live, and die in that people group and never hear the name of Jesus. Never, not once. You would never meet another Christian. That's what we mean by unreached. But this is what's on God's heart. 
his glory being known among the nations. His people being blessed with the gospel, with the good news about Jesus. This, this is what's on God's heart. We, we just saw it's about his name, his fame being spread among all the peoples on earth. So, so what's the, the problem here? What's the disconnect? It must be that we're more concerned about our fame and our followers than we are about his fame and his followers. I mean, that's what it must come down to, right? I mean, if God's heart is for his name and for his fame to be known among all the peoples, that's what God wants. And that's what's going to happen in the end. That's where all of this is headed. People from every tribe and tongue falling before the lamb, worshiping Jesus. If that's what God is doing, if that's what God is doing and using his people to bring about, if that's the purpose, if that's the heartbeat of God, but we still have 42, 43% of the world living among unreached people groups. There's a disconnect there, right? Between the heart of God and the heart of his followers, right? There's gotta be a disconnect there. And I believe the disconnect is that we have become more obsessed with our fame and our followers than we are obsessed with his fame and his followers. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 63, I said this, your love is better than life. And so my lips will glorify you, my lips will praise you. And then he said this. And so my soul will be satisfied. Because your love is better than life itself. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you with all that I am, with all that I have, because your love is better than life. And I will be satisfied in that. In making much of you, in praising your name, in making you famous, my soul will be satisfied. It's why I believe there's a connection between our obsession with our own fame and with the plague of mental and emotional issues and struggles with suicide and identity and self-worth. It, 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 I believe there's a connection there because the psalmist said in Psalm 63 that it's in your praise, it's in making much of you that my soul is satisfied. So if we're making much of ourselves, it's no wonder our souls are not satisfied. It's no wonder. So three quick challenges for you. Number one is this. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on your story, your fame, your glory. It will never satisfy you. Your story, your fame is too small a thing to live for. Live for something that's bigger than yourself. 
the glory of God. You know, King Herod at one point was praised for having the voice of a God. And instead of giving glory to God, he took it for himself. And the Bible says an angel struck Herod dead in that moment. Because taking glory for yourself, living for your own name, living for your own fame will bring nothing but destruction into your life. Nate Saint, famous missionary said this, He said, people who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they wasted. Why would you waste your life telling the nations, the peoples of the earth about the glory of God, the good news about Jesus? Nate said, said, no, 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 you see, you don't understand. You too, you're you're living your life for something. Maybe it's your name being known among the nations. Maybe it's about your fame. You're expending your life too. The problem is when the bubble has burst, like at the end, when I stand before God, what will I have to show for all the years that I've spent here on earth? What of eternal significance will I have to show for the years that I've spent here on this earth? Don't waste your life on your fame, on your glory. It's not what you were created to do. You were created to make much of him and in that your soul will be satisfied. In that you will experience the fullness and the abundance life, the abundant life that God has planned for you. Number two, don't hold on to your life. Don't hold on to your life. Don't waste your life, but don't hold on too much to this life. You see, Jesus said in Luke 24 that all the nations will hear the good news about Jesus. All the peoples of the earth will hear the gospel. And then Jesus said, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. So if you and I are gonna be about like God's heart is, if we're gonna, if our heart is gonna beat for the nations knowing the glory of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, if that's what our lives are going to be about, you can believe, you can bet that all the power of hell will be coming against you and will stand against you to keep you from that pursuit. Why? Because when the nations hear, when all the peoples hear, the end will come. And the end isn't good for the devil. And so he will do everything he can to keep us inside these walls, to keep us inside our own country. Because when all the nations here, when all the peoples here, the end will come and the end isn't gonna be good for him. And so Jesus said this, For those of us that would consider being his followers, he said this, so don't hold on to your life or you'll lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find eternal and abundant life. In other words, those that don't hold on to their life, their soul will be satisfied with a love that's better, a love that's better than life. 
Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I no longer live. I've been crucified. We have nothing to fear if we've already died. So don't hold on to this life too much. And then third, finally, you need to pray about which people group you will make him famous among. As a follower of Jesus, you need to be praying about which people group or groups you will make him famous among. You see, it's not really a question of if, it's a question of which. Because every single one of us as followers of Jesus have already been called to make his name known among the nations, among all the peoples of the earth. The question for you and I is which people groups is God leading me and prompting me by his spirit to make his glory known among, to make him famous? Which people groups am I being led to make much of him among? Every one of us are called to do that because as a disciple of Jesus, you've already been commissioned by your Lord to go and to make disciples of all the peoples on earth. So the only question for us is, which one? Which ones? Some of us, some of us in this room, God is going to lead and is going to prompt by his spirit to go to an unreached, people group on the other side of the world to make his glory known. They will sacrifice being here in order to go there. And the rest of us who are led by God's spirit to make his glory known among maybe this people group will sacrifice whatever it takes here to help others get there. But no matter what, for every one of us as followers of Jesus, there's a sacrifice, there's a cost to be paid. It might be sacrificing being here to go there, but if you're here, it's sacrificing the things, the stuff that's here to help others go there. So you need to be praying about what people group, God, are you leading me to make your glory known? What people group are you leading me to make disciples among? so I want to challenge you to do this. If God's speaking to you tonight, there was a card that's in your chair. It's called R2G. It stands for red to green. Our vision here at Raider Church is to pray and to ask God that God would leverage what's happening here at Raider Church for the sake of unreached people groups all over the face of the planet. And some of you are here tonight and God's speaking to you and he's prompting you. Yeah, I need to be praying about which people group I need to be making disciples among. And I would challenge you to fill out that card. And here's what's gonna happen. Someone from our team is going to contact you over the next month and talk with you about being in a small group that will start next spring that will learn more about what God is doing among the nations and how you can be a part. What does it look like to be a disciple that makes disciples among any people group, whether that's here or, or in Africa? in Thailand. But if God's speaking to you tonight and saying, yeah, I, I need to be about what's on God's heart. I've been making much of myself. I've been too concerned with my own fame, with my own glory, but I realized tonight I exist to make him famous, not me. I exist to make much of him. 
I exist to exalt him. I exist to get his glory out among the nations. If that's you, even if you're like, there's no chance I'm getting on a plane and going to Zimbabwe or whatever. Listen, that's fine. But in a group like this, with other people who are pursuing the same thing, you'll learn how to make disciples in any people group, whether that's here or there. And so I would challenge you, if that's you tonight, to fill out that card and then drop it at our welcome center. It's in the lobby. You can drop it there and then we'll take those and someone from our team will be in touch with you. Would you stand with me tonight? And as you stand, close your eyes and our team's gonna come and lead us in a time of worship here in just a second. And I just want you to picture this. Just every eye closed and, and, just, and just picture that verse that we read from Revelation 7, it says this, just picture this, that in heaven right now and one day, Jesus said, there will be a crowd that's so vast, it's so great, no one could possibly count. So just picture this even with me right now, that this crowd that's so great, it's so vast in heaven right now, no one could possibly count it. Can you see it? Can you see that crowd? This crowd, they're all bowing, they're all on their knees. And they're all crying out with one voice, the angels, the living beings in heaven that none of us have ever seen before. And this crowd that no one could count that's filled with people from every tribe and tongue on the face of the planet. And they're all on their knees. And they're all facing this big throne And Jesus is sitting on this throne and and they're all crying out to the lamb that was slain that's sitting on the throne. They're saying salvation and honor and glory and power belong to you, Jesus, and to you alone, not to me. It's not about me. It's not about my glory. It's not about my fame. Jesus, it's about your fame. It's about your glory. It's about making much of you, Jesus. They're all shouting this. They're all proclaiming this. And in the words of the psalmist, they're saying, your love, God, is better than life. And so our lips will glorify you and our lips will praise you because your love is better than life. And in this, my soul will be satisfied. And now picture those people from every tribe and nation worshiping Jesus and you're in that crowd and you look and you see that people group. You see that people group that you prayed for, that you gave to, that you sacrificed for, that you shared Christ with, that you lived among, that maybe you died for and you see them and they are worshiping Jesus. They're giving glory to the lamb that was slain for them because of what you did. And you get to offer that. You get to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, it was all for you. It was all about you. And in that, my soul was satisfied. God, we're here for you tonight. We live to exalt you. We exist to exalt you, to lift your name up, to make much of you. And so tonight, God, we worship you. We love you. It's all about you. We were created by God and 
before God. And so we worship you tonight.